One weekday morning early in my marriage, I answered a knock at the door of my apartment to find a man standing there who seemed pretty nervous, so that made me nervous. But he asked me where the manager's office was, and I directed him around the corner. He returned about a moment later and knocked at the door again, and I thought, I don't want to open the door for him. But it was obvious that I was home, and I didn't want to appear unfriendly, and so I opened the door. He promptly pulled a knife on me and forced me back into our apartment, locking the door and closing the living room curtains. I knew pretty clearly that his intent was to hurt me. When my husband Jim and I were married, we had engraved in our wedding bands a verse from Psalm 34, which says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So Jim and I have tried to do that for almost 47 years, hon. Um, But in this moment in my living room, another verse from that psalm came to mind, which is, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. And I felt that encampment. I felt that rescue. I felt that presence of God. This man is still standing there. He's holding a knife to me. And I can tell you the exact words that I said. I said, you know, I'm a Christian. And the Lord Jesus Christ will not allow anything to happen to me that he doesn't want to. That peace that just suffused me was there. And um, I looked at him and I said, have you ever had the gospel explained to you in a way you could understand? And he goes, no. And I said, well, sit down and let me tell you about it. So for the next 20 minutes or so there in my living room, um, I explained to him God's plan of salvation. That God had created us to have relationship with him, but that we were separated from that same God by sin in our life. And that Jesus Christ and his substitutionary death on the cross was the only way to bridge that chasm between us and God. But that we had to do something with that information. We had to either accept it or reject it. As I was sharing the gospel, this man whose name was J.J. was telling me a bit more about his story. He had grown up in juvenile institutions and group homes and prison, and he felt like that day something was making him go out and do this thing. Um, But I said to him, as I was sharing what was the Four Spiritual Law booklet, many of you are familiar with it, I said, there's a prayer at the end here um, that you can pray to invite Jesus into your heart. And I said, can you think of any reason why you wouldn't want to pray that prayer now? And he said, no. And so I kind of said, well, uh, do you want to pray or do you want me to pray? And he said, no, I'll pray. And he bowed his head in my living room and very simply prayed, if you want to come in, you're welcome. And I really believe that J.J. began his eternal life with the living God at that moment. Now, is there more to that story? For sure. So let's get together and have coffee. And I will tell you more about that story. And you will tell me about your story and your God sightings. And we'll rejoice over those things together. I have had the privilege of sharing that story literally hundreds of times. I know that because I've told that story at over a hundred Christian women's clubs as part of their evangelistic outreach kind of 
times. Um, I've shared it in vacation Bible school. I've shared it. Some of you have heard this story. I'm sorry, when we grow up together in a church, you've heard all my good stuff. So some of you are hearing this again. But I want to tell you something about this story that you may not know. For probably the first decade that I would tell this story, I would omit a very important detail of it, which I'm sharing with you this morning. And it's this. That morning... In my quiet time, I had prayed and asked God, please send someone my way today that I can share the good news with. Okay, so I just lost a few of you right there, didn't I? You're saying, lady, I am not going to pray that prayer. But um, let me tell you this. That story has opened doors for me to tell of the faithfulness of God. And imagine that. I'm in the living room, my own living room. God had sent somebody to me, quite literally, and I had the joy of welcoming him as a member of God's family. Here's what I'm telling you this morning. God answers prayer. Amen? Amen. So we're in week two of a unique sermon series we're calling Spring Training. Last week, Darren launched us... um, with a great overview of spiritual disciplines that we're tackling. And then he took a deeper dive into God's word, the study of it, the reading of it, the listening to him through his word and otherwise. If you didn't hear that message, please make a point of doing it this week because it was outstanding. Today we're talking about prayer, and it's my privilege to be given this time with you. I'm here at Darren's invitation and under the authority of the elders of this church, who also have commissioned me for the last seven or eight years to be in this prayer room following services, to pray for and over the people of our church, and to receive uh, emailed prayer requests and texted prayer requests, and people who call the church with prayer requests, and people who walk in to the church with prayer requests. So I do that under the authority of our elders and with their commissioning and often with their participation. We most Sundays have had an elder in that room with us. Let me tell you about the church's prayer team. There are over a hundred intercessors on the church's prayer team at Fullerton Free. Is that crazy good or what? And they are amazing prayer warriors. Not only do they pray, but so often what will happen is I'll send out a request. There's a dire need of some kind or for counseling or financial aid or, I mean, all sorts of things, legal help. And one or more of these prayer warriors will send back an email and say, Jenny, how can we help specifically? Where can I send a check? Who can I write a note to? Can we get them connected with Christopher Ferris in our counseling office? So they're an amazing team. But I want to tell you this. Not one of them would say, they've got this prayer thing all figured out. Not one of them would think, oh yeah, I'm an expert at prayer. One of the things Darren mentioned to us last week is the study of spiritual disciplines is spiritual practices that help us to go deeper with God. So it's a little bit like we talk about someone has, they have a medical practice. We hope that they have a level of mastery, don't we? But they're still learning, they're still growing. And so that's what spiritual disciplines are, and prayer is one of them. And as Darren said, we want to move the dial. So we want to just have... We want to be more deeper, stronger in our faith, more intimate with God. The reason that we study these disciplines is for worship. Do you get that? The closer we are to him, the more we know of him, the more we're 
prompted to respond in worship. So um, that's pretty simple. And in a way, let's simplify prayer too. Prayer is just talking with God. Here's the way it works. He talks, we listen. We talk, he listens. Is that an amazing truth? The God of the universe wants relationship with us through that kind of communication. So how does God speak to us? Well, he speaks to us through his word for sure. That's primary. That's the love letter that he sent us. He speaks to us through creation. It says the heavens will declare the glory of God. So if we're in, out in creation, if we're out in nature, it's almost difficult to not worship, isn't it? Because we have all those reminders of his, of the intricacies and the creativity and the magnitude. I'll tell you a silly story on me. I was probably 13 or 14. I would know I was in junior high. And we were at the beach, Newport Beach, favorite beach, at sunset. And I was standing in the surf line and something just welled up within me. Now, this is two or three years before I became a Christian. So I had no language, but I knew I wanted to respond somehow. So I stood there in the surf line at Newport Beach and I sang the song, this land is your land, this land is my land. Because that's all I had. I didn't have worship language. I didn't have a song like worthy of it all. But I knew that I needed to respond in some way in worship. And so that's, <laughs> that's what I did in the surf line there. But anyway, so how, how else does God speak to us? Through people through each other. There's the encouragement of being together in community, through pastors or teachers, through your prayer partner, some of us through parents or through our children. Have you been schooled by or taught by your children? I love that. Or grandchildren, grandchildren now for for me and for Jim. Um, How does he hear from us? Well, our thoughts. He, He knows all of our thoughts. And certainly as we pray, as we turn them into a prayer, And we say it in our head, or we say it out loud, or we say it in company with others. Um, One great way is to write your prayers down, to write a letter to God. And dear God, and just pour out your heart. Just pour it out. Let me tell you, there's there's a nice little side benefit to that, because you can go back later and see how you've grown. See how God has answered prayer and grown you in those ways. There are a lot of great prayer approaches. Uh, You could use the Book of Common Prayer. There's some beautiful prayers in there. That's one of the reasons we're doing our collect prayer at the start of every service and why it's included in the e-news for you to look at it starting on Thursday and think it over a bit. You could keep a prayer journal. This is a great way to just keep track of what God is doing. And for those of you that are parents and grandparents or those of you with a spouse, to keep a journal of people you're praying for and what you're praying for them. Let me just tell you, I studied Proverbs for years and years before I had children, but it became so essential when we had children because there were so many verses about my son, do this, my daughter, do this. And so I would have a page, Matthew, what I'm praying for him, a page, Emily, what I'm praying for her. I added that to the page, Jim, what I'm praying for him, our elders, what I was praying for them. So to keep a journal of the things that you're praying for, a simple way, and we've taught this to three-year-olds, the date you put the prayer in, what the prayer is, and then the date it's answered and how. 
Talk about building your faith. Now, this is how shallow I am. When I first became a Christian, I was at University of California at Berkeley, and someone said, why don't you do a prayer journal? So I started one. I think my second request was, Lord, please let it be sunny tomorrow so I can wear my new outfit. Okay, so I've become a little bit more, a little deeper, a little wiser in these days. So, and you know what? God answered that prayer. Let me just say that. So um, there are other ways to pray. Some people like the acts uh, approach, which is A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication. So we adore God. We just worship him. We confess our sins. We thank him for what he's done. And then we ask. Supplication is to ask. We ask him for things. But honestly, y'all, sometimes there's not time. Sometimes the prayer is help. Because when the train is coming on, when you just got the cancer diagnosis, when you're in the midst of a pandemic, whatever it might be, sometimes it's all you can do is to say help. Kind of a crazy story, but this was thinking about this on Valentine's Day because Valentine's Day, probably 10 or more years ago, um, I fell down our stairs at home. We have 13 stairs between one level and the other. And I had gone to pick up our dog at that point, And I guess I thought I was near the bottom and I only had two steps. And instead I had like seven steps. So I fell down five. And as I'm falling, I'm thinking, how do I protect my dog so I don't squish him by falling on him? You know, it's a, it's a blink of an eye before you fall. I really wrenched my ankle. It was really painful. Ruined our Valentine's Day, by the way. But as I replayed that in my mind... I was so happy because as I went down, what I yelled was, help me, Jesus. Frankly, I was glad I hadn't used a swear word instead. But anyway, but I thought, yay, that my response was, help me, Jesus. And so the more we pray, the more they become patterns, the more they become our immediate thoughts. Most mornings, the first cognitive thought I have is, good morning, Lord. And that's a habit. It's not something that maybe came naturally, but it's just a habit. So um, there's an author that many of us enjoy, and she has suggested that there are basically three kinds of prayers. Help, thanks, and wow. Like in help, I really need you. Thanks, you really showed up. And wow, you are amazing. So that's, that's something else. What Brad read earlier was from Philippians 4, 4 through 8. So if you don't know what to pray, let's just take a look at that for a minute. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, I am totally a word nerd. So I want to just take that apart for you just for a minute. Re is a prefix that means again. So it means again, take joy, rejoice. And then this is what Paul does just for redundancy. He goes, rejoice always again. So he's saying again and again and again, rejoice. Choose joy. Take joy. Focus on joy. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, it says forbearing spirit in some versions, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. We don't get it shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then it says here, finally, brothers, and I think, Brad, I think you had this memorized. I'm impressed by you. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I'm going to put a pause here for a minute and suggest that what many of us are focusing on instead of this is whatever is untrue, whatever is dishonorable, whatever is unjust, whatever is impure, whatever is ugly, whatever is not commendable, not excellent, or not worthy of praise. Do you see what happens in our minds if our focus is on that instead of on Jesus and on those things? Now, he qualifies as all these things. So our focus on him. In this passage, I'm underlining, at least in my mind, and I would for you as well, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Now, what I mean by that, and I say this so lovingly, but in everything with thanksgiving, not just for things that turn out the way you want to, not just being thankful for what does happen, but being thankful that in case it doesn't, being thankful in spite of, being thankful over the hard things, taking the the long view, as it were, allowing the Holy Spirit to lift our heads to focus on Jesus. So what do you pray about? Everything. Okay, that's, that's pretty big. And then who do you pray for? Okay, now stay with me for a minute. Everyone, all the time. All right, if that feels too overwhelming, I get that. But there are some ways to approach it. I think many of you employ what we've called breath prayers. And they're just like this. Marianne, cancer. I don't have to go into details. Scott and I have talked that over. I continue to pray for her. Julie, her court date. John, pursuit of God. Whatever those would be, the people that are near and dear to you, the prayer requests that you just overhear your neighbor, just a quick breath prayer. And we're saying to God, I'm still holding this. I'm still asking this. Here's the thing that is so amazing to me, and it may be the most important thing I say this morning. Prayer, and particularly intercession, which means praying for others, is God inviting us into partnership for kingdom work. I want to just sit with that for a minute because that is so moving to me. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, King James Version, I love it there. Henceforth, I call you not servants, but friends. But he wants to walk side by side with us. And he invites us into partnership as intercessors. Let me just mention, if you're interceding for others, you're in good company. Hebrews 12 says, it's talking about Hebrews 11 before it. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, guess what he's doing there? He's, there's no thumb twiddling by the heavenlies. It, he didn't go, well, okay, finished work. I went to the cross. I rose again. I'm done. No, he actively is interceding for us. That means he is talking to God the Father. As Satan is there, the accuser, telling lies about us, seeking to destroy us, Jesus is saying, no, Jenny 
is covered by my righteousness. Listen to this verse. Romans 8:34 says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He is praying for us. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But of course, Jesus is not just interceding in heaven. He prayed for us while on earth, which is one of those slightly mysterious things too. It's kind of a crazy thought. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So that's the sort of the mystery of the Trinity. If we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. And yet Jesus drew aside to pray to the Father. So I think it takes talking to yourself to a whole new level. You know, I'm, I'm just saying that. I don't know the theology behind that. But Jesus was intentional about drawing aside, about finding quiet and stillness. This says in Luke 22, verse 40 to 41, on reaching the place, he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Now, he didn't need to get his mind in alignment with God's, which is really part of our purpose in prayer, right? He didn't need to do that. He was the ultimate intercessor. He knew God. He was God, fully God. I bet that he was praying that we wouldn't fall into sin. And he was modeling for us the importance of talking to God. But that wasn't solely why he did it. He did it because he needed to do it. So if the God of the universe needs to draw aside and pray, boy, it's essential for me. All right, when to pray? Well, a couple of ideas. I'm sure you have your own good ones. But when I was first hired here at the church years ago, I was working for uh, Pastor Mel Howell. Uh, He was our children's pastor. And he said to us in training one time, as Sunday school teachers, I want you to visualize the doorway to your Sunday school classroom as a holy portal through which you would go to minister the truth of God with excellence and with humor. Remember, we're working with first through sixth graders. Um, And I want you to take that as the commissioning of God, the reminder of God to lay aside yourself and focus on him as you enter that room. Honestly, I think now in 45 years of children's ministry, I've never not thought of that as I've gone into a children's classroom. I don't know if this is true for all of you, but it's true for many of us pre-COVID. At about 9.37 or 38 at night, I would often hear the Disneyland fireworks. How many of you used to? I mean, I'm seriously, seriously, Disneyland, I'm missing that. But when I would hear those fireworks, the sound of those fireworks, I would pray Matthew 9, 37, 38. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth laborers into the fields, for the fields are white unto harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So hundreds of times I have prayed about missionaries, about us crossing the street to our neighbors, asking the Lord, how can he use me to share his truth? So thank you, Disneyland, for that great little prayer reminder. Whenever I hear a siren, I pray. 
I pray for everyone involved in that. I just, my first word is usually, Jesus, somebody needs you right now. I pray for our first responders, for paramedics, police officers, firemen. I pray for the people to whom they're going to serve, including someone who may have committed a crime. They need Jesus more than anything. And for some of them, being caught may be the very best thing for them. So I don't know in the situation. I don't, I'm not wise or smart, but I just pray. So when I hear a siren, I pray. Um, when my kids were little, I used to pray every time I would put their clothes into the washer that they would be soon covered in the righteousness of Christ. I would pray that they would early know Jesus. For my son, Matt, our son, Matt, it was about a week or so before his fourth birthday. He asked Jesus into his heart. And then for our daughter, Emily, it was about two weeks before her third birthday. And I remember thinking, oh, this, is this going to take? Well, sure enough, when she went through eighth grade Bible instruction class and baptism, and she stood up to give her testimony, she said the reason she had asked Jesus into her heart was because her brother told her that she was going to hell otherwise. Now, I don't remember it quite the same way, but I do remember that little sweetheart just praying, come in, come in, come in. So that prayer was answered. First Thessalonians 5.15 says this, pray without ceasing. You know, we don't have to stop and think, how do, we, how do I breathe? How am I going to breathe today? In, out. Okay, that's a good pattern. So we want prayer to be like that too, for it to be the immediate response. Like, can I bring this in under your authority, Lord? Can you prompt me in what to do, how to respond. Um, for the last 20 years or so, I've had a personalized license plate, the last 20 years and three cars. And it is this, N-T-R-S-S-O-R. Now you're forgiven if you don't get that. I thought I was pretty cute, but N-T-R-S-S-O-R, intercessor. Because I thought above all things, I want that to be true of me. So three cars, 20 years. Early on, it first went on my red Volkswagen Bug. I love that car. And about three months after I had my license plate, my new car, our neighbor, Al, came across the street. Jim and I were standing in our driveway on a Saturday morning. And Al said, what does your license plate mean? Now, Jim and I had been trying to win Al into the kingdom for about 20 years at that point with chocolate chip cookies and capturing their dog who was on the loose and all kinds of ways. So I just said, well, it it stands for intercessor, which means someone who prays. And Al said, oh, I figured it'd be something religious. Probably about, oh, maybe two months after that or so, again, Jim and I and Al are standing in our driveway on a Saturday, and a new neighbor walked up. His name was Frazier. And he said, oh, I'm so glad you're out here. I've been wanting to know what your license plate means. And before I could even open my mouth, Al says, oh, it means someone who prays all the time thought, oh, that's awesome. And uh, so Frazier said, well, what do you pray about? And I said, I, I pray about everything. I pray about people. I pray about what concerns them, jobs. I said, I pray about pets if somebody asks me to. Um, I pray about anything that concerns anyone because that's what we're encouraged to do in God's word. So that was on a Saturday morning. On a Tuesday afternoon, there's a knock at the door and I open it and there's Frazier. And he says, will you pray for me? And I said, well, what are, what are we praying about? And he said, I just feel so far from God, and I don't know how to get back. Well, yes, thank you very much. I will.
So our house became a house of prayer, which is what it says our church should be, what we should each be. We're lighthouses in our neighborhoods. I love that. Many of you know Peter Kling, one of the members of our prayer room team. I love this story. Uh, One time he forgot to take his lanyard off. We have lanyards in there that say prayer team and have our name on it. And he went to Coco's after church. And uh, forgetting he was wearing it, a guy came up to him and said, Hey, will you pray for me? I just got a cancer diagnosis this week. Was that God's orchestration? That Peter just happened to wear his tag. And so that man felt comfortable to approach Peter to ask him to pray. I love that. If you don't know how to pray truly for someone, here's a prayer. Jan Karen is an author that many of us like as well. And she says, pray the prayer that never fails. Thy will be done. Isn't that good? Thy will be done. Last week, Darren exhorted us to memorize scripture as part of the discipline of listening. And I want to say to you that that is absolutely the most effective way to pray. Why is that? Because we are agreeing with God about his principles and what he's commanded us to do. We are choosing to pray in accord with his will. He's laid out what he has for us as far as a purpose And things to do in life. And we're claiming his blessings. Right now we started last. We actually started last Wednesday. A series. A 40 day series of Lenten noon prayer times. Under the leadership of Dan Crane. Who had this vision to call our church to repentance. So we've had three so far. And they've been amazing. Please come and join us any weekday morning. The prayer room is right over here noon to one o'clock. And as we've prayed, we've had maybe 12 to 15 people come for those. The prayers are so deep and so humble. And you could come and be quiet. You don't have to pray. You're free to pray. You'll look around the room and there may be people kneeling. The posture is not important, but it's so powerful. Let me just clue you in. When we pray for repentance, guess what the byproduct is? Revival. And renewal. So I love that. I want you to picture something um, just for a moment. Kind of a, a, kind of a, not a word picture so much, but a a metaphorical picture of God the Father. Um, One of the names for God is Abba. I've heard that that most closely approximates our word daddy. So I want you to picture God the Father as our daddy. And we as children coming to him and kind of tugging on his sleeve and saying, Daddy, you promised this. I'm asking you to do that. For instance, Daddy, you promised in James 1 that if any of us lacks wisdom to ask of you who give to all men generously and without reproach and it will be given. And I need wisdom, Daddy. Or to run to him and say, you said in John 3 that you desire that none should perish, but all should have everlasting life. And I'm praying for my dad right now. Daddy, will you lead my dad to you? Or you said, Jesus, in John 14, that it was good that you go because then the Holy Spirit, the comforter, would come. And so I need the comforter. Will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? I need that comfort right now that you promised. Or in Acts 1 where it says, and when 
the Holy Spirit would come upon me at your resurrection, then I would have power. I need that power, Daddy. So praying in his name and tugging the way children are so insistent and just so trusting and believing. I'm going to close with just a a story. Um, this is from our, one of our former pastors, Chuck Swindoll. It was on his daily blog. And uh, it just, I don't know. Anyway, I'll let the story tell itself. It was in 1968 on an airplane headed for New York, a routine and normally very boring flight. But this time it proved to be otherwise. As the plane was on its descent pattern, the pilot realized that the landing gear was not engaging. Passengers were told to place their heads between their knees, grab their ankles just before impact. Then with the landing only minutes away, the pilot suddenly announced over the intercom, we are beginning our final descent. At this moment, in accordance with international aviation codes established at Geneva, it is my obligation to inform you that if you believe in God, you should commence prayer. Is that crazy? Chuck says here, Scout's honor. That's exactly what he said. Then Chuck goes on. I'm happy to report that the belly landing occurred without a hitch. No one was injured. And aside from rather, some rather extensive damage to the plane, the airline hardly remembered the incident. Amazing. The only thing that brought out into the open a deep down, quote unquote, secret rule was crisis. Push to the brink, back to the wall, right up to the wire, all escape routes closed. Only then does our society crack open a hint of recognition that God might be there. And if you believe, you should commence prayer. You know what? We believe, right? We need to commence prayer. We don't need to wait for the Geneva Convention or International Aviation Codes to tell us to do that. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to approach you boldly because of the finished work of the cross. Thank you that you are alive and within us and loving us and listening to us. Father, thank you that your desire is for greater intimacy with us. Your desire is for us to grow in faith. Father, you inhabit our worship, and may that be in our prayers as well. Father, help us to go deeper, stronger, more responsive in prayer. Teach us new things about yourself, and um, allow us to find the times to do as Jesus did and draw aside a stone's throw distance and just talk to you, be comforted by you, and tell you that we love you. In Jesus' name.